If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of Let's Ask Paul, the podcast where I, Paul Abernathy, attempt to answer all of your pressing electrical code related questions at zero charge. All you got to do is go over to paulabernathy.com. That's our portal that allows you to submit online any of your questions. Uh, and if you're submitting questions on any of our other uh, websites, um, chances are you're going to get a message that says go to paulabernathy.com. Uh, we do that because we it allows us to keep it consistent and it drops those questions into a specific folder uh, that I access. So um, it makes sure that I nobody gets lost in the cracks, that type of thing. So uh, check that out. If you want to submit a question, again, you know, there's trusted resources. I mean, you can go on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and try to get your knowledge from there. But again, uh, not all electricians are created equal. I'm sure there's many of them out there who install much better than I ever did. Um, but there's their, is their code knowledge? Is that what they do? Well, all you got to do is go look at their profile, look at some of their posts. If they're not posting code references to support their information, then it's probably not a trusted source you want to follow. No disrespect. Okay. Um, I always post a code reference where it's necessary to support an answer or a reply. So again, and most educators will do that, that, that are worth their weight and salt. They will actually do that. So uh, consider that when you're looking at your resources and things like that. So, so anyway, if you want to submit something to be possibly selected for an upcoming podcast, just go to paulabernathy.com, fill out the information, click the submit button, and uh, we'll answer your question. Or we'll, if selected, you'll be on a podcast, much like today's podcast. 
Okay. All right. We got that out of the way. Um, we have to, we have to pay the sponsor. So on this episode, uh, the sponsor is Trades Apps in Black Dot NFC. Now, if you might be asking what that is, so Trades Apps is a quick app that any contractor we can create. And what it does is it puts like a, a, a business card in the hands of the customer. It allows them to get information on your company. If you have a, a video or if you have anything, appointment scheduling, whatever. Uh, we can create apps for just about anything, okay? So um, if you don't have an app for your business and you're going out and meeting customers, then you're potentially losing money because you need to be in their hands at all times, and we offer enough features that encourages them to use it on a regular basis. So if you're interested in that, go to tradiesapps.com and check that out. Uh, the black dot NFC, NFC is near field communication, and we have so many options from the our black our signature black dot disc to fobs to whatever. Um, but what that also does is allows us to create you a one page um, mobile adapted uh, business card setting that is pretty neat. It can have the options are endless, to be honest with you, what we can do with that. So we have partnerships with uh, iframe developers, and we can do some interesting stuff. And we have some demos. If you're interested, reach out to us. Just go to tradiesapps.com. Uh, the black dot NFC is very neat because that would allow your customers to be able to tap your business card, uh, to tap your fob, to uh, put these black dots on any of your marketing material. Uh, all types of things that you can do with that. And, and the sky is the limit. So if you're interested in something like that or you want to elevate your business to the next level and you want to get NFC and you want to incorporate that into your efforts uh, for your marketing, it's really, really cost effective. And our apps uh, go hand in hand with the Black Dot NFC. So um, if you're interested in that, go to Trades Apps, T-R-A-D-I-E-S-A-P-P-S.com. Check it out. And, and uh, I think you'd be surprised how affordable it is, but there is uh, so many features that we can incorporate in it. So again, you, you, you really need to be in the hands of your customer at all times. All right. You don't need to have them searching for you. You need to be right there. And these things allow that to take place. And it makes it so easy for your sales staff because when they do a call, they're simply going to have the customer uh touch their phone to your fob or to your black dot, and it puts all that information on their phone. And you can even take the opportunity to show them the features. Uh, maybe you're making recommendations for other contractors that you formed a partnership with, like a plumber, mechanical guy, HVAC, whatever. You create your own little network. It's kind of like a BNI network thing. And we will walk you through that in our program, but it, it is so cost-effective that every contractor should have uh, their own access to Trades apps and have their own mobile app as well as a uh, Black Dot NFC in their arsenal. Yep, absolutely. So if interested in that, check out tradiesapps.com. All right, enough of that. So in today's episode, we have a question it's, uh, that was submitted and uh, we're going to select it to, to answer it and uh, kind of talk about all the things around it because it's uh, the question... Um, 
is pretty big, but we want to make sure that we answer it for the individuals. So um, the question itself is pretty short, right? So one sentence, but it says, when are grounding bushings required? So now I think you mean probably bonding bushings rather than grounding bushings, uh, that type of scenario. Because uh, when I think of grounding, I'm thinking more like when you're dealing with a grounding electrode conductor that's running through a ferrous raceway and you have to, for protection, going down to, let's say, ground rods, and you have to put this, this grounding uh, fitting on the end in order to be able to bond the end of the ferrous metal raceway to the grounding electrode conductor and things like that, right? That's, that's what I'm thinking that that's dealing with the grounding aspect of it. But I'm thinking, since you said grounding bush, I think what you're really wanting is to talk about bonding bushings. I'm thinking that's probably what you want because in some recent videos that we've done over on Instagram, and if you're not following us on any of these social media platforms, uh, you really should. We post tips and tricks and all kinds of stuff at any given time. Uh, we let you know about any webinars, any training coming up, any any new programs that are coming out. But but really, we do a lot of little spur of the moment things, like snips and tricks. Uh, you know, snips and tips is the latest thing that we did over on Instagram, and it's basically taking some images that people post, uh, like on trade hounds and other areas, uh, and they they post the pictures very proud of their pictures, but they have code violations in them. And so we're doing it not to down the person, but we're doing it in order to use it as an educational moment and uh, those type of things. So that's the latest series on it. And as I tell people, there's some people that want to do a snarky comment to it. Don't watch it. If you don't like my content, move on. I'm not interested in you. And you're not going to be seen anyway because I'm going to delete it. So why waste your effort? Okay. It's not a freedom of speech zone. Okay. So let's get into today's, uh, today's topic. Um, so when are grounding bushings required? Okay. So that's what was asked. So I think what we have to do is, if you, for those that are following along in this podcast and that have their code books, uh, the first thing you want to go is to part five of Article 250. Now, part five is dealing with bonding, and we have different aspects of, of bonding uh, that we have to follow. Now, remember, I also did a video during this, that period over on Instagram, which talked about plastic bushings for abrasion and, and things like that. That is different than a bonding bushing, okay? Uh, now, you might have a bonding bushing that has built into it rolled edges or whatnot that can be, you know, that will keep conductors from being damaged. And, and things like that, and it might serve as a double duty to uh, the abrasion aspect of it that's covered for PVC or rigid and things like that, but not going to be really discussed in this episode. That's a, that's a totally different thing that we'll talk about. This is just dealing with bonding bushings and when bonding is required, because again, I think that's um, what's coming out of the of the question here. So I'm going to try to cover as much of that as I can on it. So, all right. So the first part is you, you definitely want to be in part five for bonding. So for the individual that submitted this, uh, all of the bonding information that you're going to be pulling away uh, from this topic is, is going to be in, in, uh, in a part five. Okay? And that's starting at 250.90. 
and that's going to go all the way down to 250.106 or somewhere in that nature. Okay, so it's it's quite quite broad uh, in its area, but again, it's it's very much focused on the bonding aspect of it. Okay, so the first thing that we look at here is 250.90. For those that are following along, it says bonding shall be provided if necessary to ensure electrical continuity and the capacity to conduct safely any fault current likely to be imposed. So if you have any metal component, you have conductors, service conductors that are running through metal raceways, a fault in it could energize the metal raceway. So we have to bond the raceway so that we don't have, uh, so that the differences of potential are nullified to the point where they're raised to both at the same potential then the likelihood of you getting shocked is reduced. It doesn't remove the current that could get on it. It just, the likelihood of it becoming an issue is reduced, right? So um, we have to ensure that all raceways are done right, all couplings are done right, uh, everything is bonded properly, so that when current, if fault current is imposed over onto the raceways or the enclosures or whatnot, that it's going to allow a low impedance effective ground fault current path in order to one clear overcurrent devices where necessary. <clears throat> Although it's not going to be something that takes place on the line side or the supply side of the service, because again, there's really no overcurrent device upstream to uh, that we're going to be concerned with to clear anything. But most certainly on the service side, on the line side or supply side, we will definitely be um, bonding in order to bring things all up to the same potential, if you will, trying to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, on the load side of your service disconnect, uh, then what you've got is uh, the bonding to definitely clear an overcurrent protective device as quickly as possible. So fittings, connections to boxes, all these type of things have to be done in a way that's going to ensure that the electrical continuity and the capacity to safely conduct any fault that's going to be imposed on it so that it will and it will clear overcurrent protective devices, right? So that's the whole kind of the premise. That's the general of part five. That's the general when it comes to bonding. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, you have it broken down into 250.92, which is for services, and you're given some information there. Uh, then it goes into 250.94. And I should remind everybody, I am looking in the 2023 edition of the National Electrical Code. I have moved on, uh, whether it's adopted in your state or not. I'm sure I get comments on that crap all the time. Where we're still on the 2017, I don't care. Okay? I don't care. As you can tell, I get so many emails and stuff about that. I don't care. My education is 2023 at this point because it is published and I move forward. I have plenty of videos and podcasts on 2020. I have plenty of stuff on 2017. I continually move forward. And if your question that you submit to me does not state the addition of the code that you want your response given to, then I am always going to use the latest published edition. Okay, keep that in mind when you're submitting your question. If you want it based on 2020, state that in your question. There's more than enough room on there for you to be able to make that statement in your question. Okay, so 
If you're dealing with services, we're going to be in 250.92. If you're talking about bonding for communication systems like the inter-system bonding termination, the little buses that are out there at your service equipment, things like that, uh, or at a detached structure, uh, then you're going to be in 250.94. Um, and of course, you've got the bonding of other enclosures. Okay, so 250.96 is pretty much uh, going to be what we're we're doing with feeder applications, right? And then of course, you've got 250.97, which is bonding for over 250 volts to ground. So you've got some requirements there. Remembering that is not going to be 12240. Uh, and if people every now and then say, well, does do you have to do something extra for 240 volt phase to phase? And I go, no, you just follow it like a feeder, follow the rules normal. It's only when it's over 250 volts to ground. So at 277.480, that would be over. 250 volts to ground because the 277 is the one that you're measuring to ground to get the 277, right? So at the end of the day, uh, phase to phase, it would be uh, 480. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Phase to ground, 277. So that is over 250 volts. So yes, you have some what's called enhanced requirements. And we'll talk about that in this episode. But just trying to explain the differences here before we dig too deep into it, right? So if you're doing 120, 240 volt, things like that, then you're going to stay in the bonding requirements of 250.96. If you're over 250 volts to ground, then you're going to be looking at bonding requirements that help bridge 250.97. If you're doing services, then you're going to be sticking in 250.92, those type of things, okay? So that kind of gives you a, an overall perspective of which one of these sections you really need to be into. Okay. Um, and you know, then you'll have other little things like 250.98, which is bonding loosely joined metal raceways. This is talking about things like expansion fittings, deflection fittings, things like that. Telescoping sections. Uh, maybe you're doing a bridge and you've got a, a, a piece that that's allowed for movement and you're going to have to use an expansion fitting over that or something like that. So then, you know, you have those rules there. Uh, and then you have 250.100, which is bonding in hazardous classified locations. Obviously, you've got your rules in 500, 501, 502, 503 for these hazardous classified locations. But again, and this is going to 
bring reference back to that as well. So that's where you would go for that. Um, and then, of course, we have 250.102, uh, which is grounded conductor, bonding conductors, and jumpers. Okay. So here's where you would go, and this is where you're going to be sent. For example, 250.24 will send you for sizing things like the grounded conductor. It can't be less than the size given per this table. Uh, and of course, if you're doing any supply side bonding, uh, then you would have the supply side bonding jumper. You've got the rules here, and it subsequently has a table 250.102C1 that you're going to be using. So, um, in supply side bonding, would be any case where you have service conductors coming in, for example, and maybe it's a uh, coming in underground, and maybe it's an open bottom uh, piece of equipment. And so, you've got these metal raceways coming up from the bottom. Well, you've obviously, they're, they're isolated. They're not connected to any cabinet. They're just coming straight up out of the bottom. So that's the point where you would have to bond those raceways because they probably contain service conductors. Okay, we'll just keep it there for right now. And so if that's the case, you know, those raceways could get energized. And if there's no way to clear an overcurrent device, well, obviously we still have to bond them so that everything's at the same potential so we don't get a difference of touch potential and that's how current is generated and that's where hazards take place, right? So you have to bond them. And so you're going to use a supply side bonding jumper to do that. Now, the provisions in 250.102C allow me to run a single supply side bonding jumper and just kind of daisy chain it through each of the raceways. If you had parallel sets, for example, that would be fine. You're just going to have to size that supply side bonding jumper based on the cumulative circular mill of all of the raceways. And you only use one phase. Don't be adding up ABC, ABC, ABC. No, just one phase. Just take phase A. Keep it simple. And if I have four sets of 500, then I would use A in each of the set. And so that would be 2 million circular mills. If it's 500 each, right? You're just using one phase. And then that's how we would size our supply-side bonding jumper. Now, alternatively, the code says, well, and we could do individual sizing. So that means I could run an individual supply-side bonding jumper to each one of those raceways from the grounded terminal bus. Okay, and if I did that, then I only have to size that supply-side bonding jumper based on the conductor's size that's in that individual raceway. So again, if it's 500 KC mil, then I'm going to use 500 KC mil. Again, take just one phase. Don't try to take them all. Just take one phase. That's it. Okay. So that's what we call the difference between a single bonding jumper installed for two or more raceways versus an individual bonding jumper for each raceway. Now, the 2023 edition of the NEC um, didn't change the concept, but it, it actually worded it so that it's a little clearer. And that's what everybody's asking all the time. They don't make the code cleaner or make it clearer. Uh, and, you know, being, I sit on code panel five. It's my favorite. Uh, the people that are on that panel, genius, all of them, uh, just to be on that panel. It's, it's an honor to be there. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm just sit back and absorbing it, uh, as I'm communicating and working in our little task groups and things like that. But again, great minds, 
uh, in the that one. Again, I'm sure they're all through the code, you know, different panels. Uh, I also serve on 17. Uh, in all fairness, the folks on 17, again, don't get your butt hurt, folks. Not the same as the people on code five. I'm just saying. But that's expertise, right? And and they and I wouldn't expect them to be. You know, the, the people on code panel 17 are not going to be as versed in grounding and bonding as the people obviously in code five, code panel five. And that's what I mean. I don't mean intellectually different. I'm just saying that when we're talking about grounding and bonding aspects, and there are some in, in uh, 680, right? The equipotential bonding and dot 26 and all this, they have a lot of discussions, but they sometimes it kind of goes to the way of, you know, you really should ask code panel five because some of the stuff you're saying is probably not accurate. Okay. One example of that would be running an eight gauge single um, equipotential bonding grid conductor around the perimeter of a pool when we know that it's not effective. And they say, well, show me the bodies. I'm just saying, usually you're just not put in a situation where, I mean, it only takes a hundred, you know, it only takes a tenth of an amp to kill you. Okay. And yet people get shocked all the time. The reason you don't die is because you're not bonded right. If I were to come in there and, and, and bond you right, then it can happen. It doesn't take thousands of, of, of amps to do it. Right. Um, so luckily around pools, there's slight shocks, things that happen, but you're not put in a perfect storm to make it as deadly as it could be. Uh, that's not to say it can't happen, but you know, they don't understand as, the, as well the principles as it would be in a code panel five, that type of thing. Okay. So anyway, hopefully I didn't offend anybody with that. It certainly wasn't an intellectual shot. It's just that two different mindsets from code panel five. And it's the same for all the code panels, to be honest with you. All right. So, so that's what you're going to do for supply side bonding jumpers. Now, if you're doing the same scenario with these raceways on the load side coming out of an open bottom, then you wouldn't use the supply side bonding jumper, right? You would use an equipment bonding jumper on the load side. And that is 250102D, which is ultimately still going to be sizing those conductors based on the overcurrent protective device like we have in 250.122, right? Same concept. So ultimately, it's going to send you back there for sizing. In that scenario, and then you just follow all the rules in 250.122. So that's why it's really important to understand the rules uh, in 250.122. And there's so many subdivisions to that uh, that you need to be fully versed in it. And uh, again, that's why I tell people, you know, we, we have a grounding and bonding course that is designed to walk you through all of these pieces. So it's, you know, I'm biased because I was a part of writing the 2020 edition of that and we developed a course around it. Um, but to be honest with you, everybody should take a course on grounding and bonding. Uh, you know, eat your humble pie and realize that grounding and bonding can be difficult. And it's uh, one of those courses that everybody should have in uh and that way they check that off the list and go, you know what, I, I have a better understanding of grounding and bonding now. So if you're interested in that course, again, it's, our, it's a grounding and bonding. Uh, it's the Fast Tracks Purple. Check it out on our website at FastTrackSystem.com. Um, and uh, I think you'll, uh, you'll like it. Okay.
Um, so anyway, that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. And, and then, of course, it, it ends up also now getting into 25104, which is bonding of the of the metal water pipes and things like that. Uh, and, and then other metal piping, things like, you know, uh, anything that would be likely to become energized that you would be bond and talks about structural metal and all those type of things. Uh, but again, and then goes to 25106 with this lightning protection, like I said, and then that's where it ends. But our question was about bonding bushings, and I pretty much answered the question. So when would you need the bonding bushings? So let's talk about services first. So in services, the code says in 250.92 for services, it says A, you have an A, you have an, a B. Now, again, we're talking 2023, so if you're in the 2020 or 2017, there's going to be slight variances in it, but the concepts are still the same. We added some extra language in there for clarity uh, that you know was submitted by individuals uh, in the public input stage and then ratified in the public comment stage, and probably a lot of the stuff came from us sitting around the table having discussions to, to tweak it and make it better. But when you're dealing with services, you're going to have two different things. You're going to have... 250.92A, which is going to tell you what needs to be bonded. And then you're going to have B, which tells you the method to bonding at the service. Okay. So your first one to answer your question is where in a bonding bushings, uh, or you say grounding bushings, but I think you mean bonding bushings. When are they required? Okay. So at the service, here's when they're required. All right. Well, let's just say maybe not bonding bushings. That's one option. So I'll read it, but here's where your bonding is required for the equipment at the service. 250.92A says the normal non-current carrying metal parts of equipment including, uh, included in the following shall be bonded together. Okay, so we're tying everything together. We're going to be tying the raceways to cable trays to auxiliary gutters to service cable armor to all of these. All of this has to be tied together. Okay, bring everything to the same potential. Okay, no differences of potential, trying to raise or elevate everything to the same potential. Okay, so if you look at it, you have an item one and an item two. Now, item one says, okay, bonding of equipment at service, all raceways, cable trays, cable bus framework, auxiliary gutters, or service cable armor or sheathing that enclose, contain, or support service conductors except as permitted in 250.80. Right, now, 250.80 is an application, and I'll read it. It says, metal enclosures and raceways for service conductors and equipment shall be connected to the grounded conductor if the electrical system is grounded or to the grounding electroconductor for electrical systems that are not grounded. Okay, And then there's an exception here. It talks about uh, like any... Uh, it says metal components that are installed in a run of underground non-metallic raceways and are isolated from possible contact by a minimum cover of 18 inches to all parts of the metal components shall not be required to be connected to the grounded conductor supply side bonding jumper or grounding electroconductor. So what that means is if I'm doing an installation underground and I'm using PVC, right? but I'm changing the elbows out for metal because maybe the deal is they're worried about pulling it through and it could cause the uh, burning of the interior radius of the plastic elbow. Uh, and of course, 
<clears throat> I mean, so they change it to a metal elbow, uh, but it is isolated. And if you follow the code, it tells us all raceways, and that elbow is a raceway, that it has to be bonded. Well, how do you bond that? It's, it's, so as long as it's underground and it has 18 inches of cover, when you transition that elbow and start coming up out of the ground, then you do not need to bond those pieces. So anyway, that's kind of why it makes that reference there. And then the second one says all enclosures that contain service conductors, including meter fittings, boxes, or the, or the like, interposed in the service raceway or armor. So what interposed means is, I'll give you a, a mental picture here. If you come from a weather head and you come down the mast and you hit a meter, that's interposed. That's being placed in the, in the, the service conductor's path. And that's what interposed means. Of course, then it goes out from the load side of that meter down into your service disconnect, that type of thing. So interposed says, look, it's even going to include any of the equipment that is interposed in these service conductors, right? And so all of this stuff has to be bonded, right? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Now, interesting is people ask, well, what if I have a PVC weatherhead and it's on the side of a building and it's coming down to a meter enclosure and then it's coming out of the meter closure down to the service disconnect, how do I bond the meter enclosure if it's metal? Well, you're going to do that with the grounded conductor, okay, that is already in place. That is done. You're going to be taking care of that connection and, and you're permitted to do that. You're permitted to use the grounded conductor for that application to bond that enclosure, okay? All right, so, and, and that's for a total different episode, but you're permitted to do that. It, it's totally acceptable to do that. And, and if you want to go look that up, that's in 250.142, and that is the use of the grounded conductor for uh, grounding equipment, okay? So that's where you're taking care of that right there. And it's very common to do that. All right. It's also very common to use 250.142 for using the ground conductor on supply side gutters, wireways, and whatnot as well. Uh, 
you're allowed to do that. You wouldn't have any equipment ground to do that, but you're you're allowed to to use the grounded conductor on the supply side, and it gives you all the rules in 250.142. If you're interested in go check that out. All right, so at services 250.92, we're we're told what all has to be bonded, right? So then we have to look at the method. How do we do it? And that's where you look at B. Now, 250.92B says method of bonding at the service. I'll read you what it says, and then it kind of answers your question for this aspect of it. It says, bonding jumpers meeting the requirements of this article shall be used around impaired connections such as reducing washers or oversized concentric or eccentric or eccentric, whatever you like saying it, knockouts. So if I have a service and it's coming in, and I've got KOs, and I'm not removing all of the KOs, then I have an impairment. Now, if I'm removing KOs and I have reducing washers because the knockout's too big, I made a oops, made a boo-boo, or anything like that, then you're going to need the bonding jumpers. Okay. Now, again, if it's on the supply side, then it's going to be a supply side bonding jumper. Okay. So, that's the reason why it says bonding jumpers, because now you have to determine which side it's on in order uh, to be able to determine which one you're using or sizing based on 250.102C or 250.102D, depending on if you're on the load side. Okay, So that kind of sets the tone there for that. Now, um, also, it goes on to say standard lock nuts or bushings shall not be the only means for bonding required by this section but shall be permitted to be installed to make a mechanical connection to the raceway. So what that means is if I have a service coming in and I have concentric or eccentric or eccentric, however you want to say it, KOs, and I'm putting a lock nut on it, a lock nut alone cannot be adequate to, to ensure that bonding for services. Okay. So it means that you're going to have to do something else. Now, it does mean that you can use the standard lock nut for the mechanical part. Again, holding the raceway to the box. That's, that's perfectly fine. But you have to do something else. And this is where a, a bonding jumper would be what you would do uh, to take care of that. Okay? All right. So let's see here. So that covers that. Now, it goes on to say... Electrical continuity at service equipment, service raceways, and service conductor enclosures shall be ensured by one or more of the following methods. So now we're going to say, okay, what can we do? What, what allowances do we have? We already know when we need to use a bonding jumper. Okay, If we're dealing with impairments, then we'll need a bonding jumper. Again, we're talking services now. Don't let your mind wander to the feeder. We're, we're still on services. Okay? And it reminds us that standard lock nuts are not going to work. Okay? So we have to go down and look. Okay, so there is uh, one or more of the following. Number one, bonding equipment to the grounded service conductor by an applicable method in 250.8A. Okay, so this is the one that says, okay... Well, we can bond equipment to the grounded conductor. And again, 250.8A is giving us different termination methods that we have. That's a, a list of whether it's a, um, a listed pressure connector, terminal bar, 
uh, exothermic welding process, machines, screw type fasteners engage not less than two threads. You know, you get the point. It's different methods. So as long as we use one of those methods, we can actually connect the grounded conductor to the the to the to the raceway, uh, and would be fine, right? And, and and you know what? That could be some that is simply done with a bonding jumper, right? So again, so your jumper from the grounded conductor terminal bus up to and connect to a bonding bushing that would be on that raceway that's containing service conductors, okay? So that's a supply, and you size it based on a supply-side bonding jumper, okay? So we're given permission to do that. Uh, next, it says connections made up wrench tight using threaded couplings, threaded entries, or listed threaded hubs on enclosures. Okay, so this is an example where you notice that on meters, you go to the top of it, and it has the bolted-on uh, meter hub, and it's threaded, and you're bringing in a, let's say, a rigid into the top or whatnot, then that threaded connection that's made up is adequate to bond, okay? So if your meter socket's bonded to the grounded conductor, and you've got the hub on top of it, and you bring in a rigid or intermediate, let's say, that's threaded, and it threads into the hub on the top, then that's considered a method to make the connection between the meter, which is bonded, to that raceway, which now becomes bonded because it's doing it through a threaded hub, right? And then, of course, again, any couplings, if, depending on how far up your mast would go, let's say, uh, the couplings are fine as well because they're a part of the, the system, right? They're listed for use with that rigid or that intermediate, and they're connecting two of the raceways together. That, that is still considered bonding and continuing that bond to the next uh, stick or joint of, of rigid or EMT, that type of scenario. You with me? Okay. Uh, the next one is threadless. That's item number three. Threadless couplings and connectors, if made up tight, for metal raceways and metal clad cables. Okay, so you can use metal clad cables for services. It's over in 230. There is a list of, of all the different types of wiring methods you can use for service to, or to enclose service conductors, right? Um, and it's also threadless coupling could be used for um, like a EMT, which is compression threadless couplings or whatnot. So Again, making sure that everything's listed uh, properly using listed wiring methods and associated fittings. If that's the case, then that's all considered fine. Again, as long as it's made up tight. Okay. Now, I noticed it doesn't say made up wrench tight, uh, but uh, again, uh, tight being the, the operative word here, um, you wouldn't do that with a metal clad cable. But again, keep, keep that in mind that that is okay to do that. And then the fourth one is other listed devices, such as a bonding type lock nut, bushings, or bushings with bonding jumpers. So again, um, one of the aspects of it that kind of covers everything is, is a bushing with the bonding jumper. It's going to help facilitate item number one, because that's the most common way it would facilitate it. Um, and then, of course, you have a bonding type lock nut, which is like a standard lock nut with a screw that drives into the material, um, that type of thing. Now, now here's where people get confused. It still requires that if you have concentric or eccentric or any type of impairment that you have a bonding jumper, 
Okay. But if you're going to bond the raceway on the supply side and you have total all knockouts knocked out, right? Then you could use a bonding type lock nut to give you that assured bonding on the supply side. So you still have to make sure that's an assured bonding aspect. Okay. It's not just a situation where I only have to follow these four items if I've got concentric, eccentric, or reduction. Remember, when you're reading this rule up front, it tells you which situations you're going to need to have bonding jumpers. Okay. But when you get to these one, two, three, four list under 250.92B, this is just giving you lists to ensure that your continuity of the service equipment, service raceways, and other service conductor enclosures are all connected together. And this gives you some options to be able to do that. That's what this is doing. Okay. That's what this list is all about. I, you know, so people will tend to, to get it confused uh, when looking at it. But just remember, standard lock nuts, ceiling lock nuts, and metal bushings are not acceptable as a sole means for bonding a raceway or a cable to an enclosure on the line side of the service disconnecting means. Okay, remember that. Uh, for concentric, eccentric, or eccentric, or oversized KOs, electrical continuity must be ensured through a supply-side bonding jumper. We talked about that. Uh, and... Um, Again, you got to make sure that you uh, raceway and your grounding fitting and everything is listed for its proper application. Um, and it says, if these KOs were in a service enclosure, they would impede the bonding connection. Uh, bonding jumpers are required in those situations. And we kind of covered that scenario when you would have it. Okay. But it's just a, a you know, good aspect of understanding the importance of the supply side or line side type of bonding that takes place. Okay. Now I will remind you something. If you, if you're not familiar with this uh, or if you haven't downloaded it yet, it's well worth the investment is getting the NFPA link. Now if you've heard people, people have asked me about what this is and you see me using it in my Instagram videos. Um, the neat thing about link which is a, a software uh, by uh, NFPA that you really don't load it on anything. It's in the cloud, but you access it. You can access it from any device. It gives you at your fingertips the latest edition of the National Electrical Code plus previous editions all the way back to 2008, okay, uh, at your fingertips. So the other beautiful thing is that it gives you access to other standard documents as well that NFPA puts out, like 70E and all those type of things, 72 and all that for fire alarm. So it's well worth the investment. And it's cheap. I think a little over 100 bucks a year, which is well worth it. You'll spend more than that. Uh, but having it at your fingertips is just going to make you a much better electrician in the field. You know where to go and that type of thing. All right. So <clears throat> that's dealing with the service. And my advice to you is to go read 250.92 and A and B and kind of see if you have any questions. Obviously, you can respond back to this podcast at paulabernathy.com, and I will dig deeper in any of those you might not understand. Uh, the next one is uh, 250.94. We're not going to cover that because that's not really dealing with bonding bushings like was, with, that was discussed. So, but that is for bonding at communication systems. And so that's for like your direct TV, which... 
I boycott. Um, but that is um, what you would do to make sure that you have a certain number of terminations for use with communication systems. Okay. Uh, the next one that we will talk about is getting to the other coin, other side of the coin when it comes to the bonding. And that is other enclosures, not service, but anything else. Okay. Whether you're doing branches or feeder applications. Okay. That is 250.96. Now, 250.96 is broken into two subdivisions, and that is an A and a B. Uh, we're only going to be dealing with A, which is the general, because B is isolated grounding circuits. Okay. Uh, so if you're isolating something for electromagnetic interference, uh, things like that, then you can follow B. Uh, but we want to talk about the bonding bushing requirements, uh, whether necessary or not. And 250.96. So this is, we're going to say we're focusing on a feeder application. It says, A says, metal raceways, cable trays, cable armor, cable sheathing, um, enclosures, frames, fittings, and other metal non-current carrying parts uh, that are to serve as equipment grounding conductors with without the use of a wire type supplementary equipment grounding conductor shall be bonded if necessary to ensure electrical continuity and the capacity to conduct fault current likely to be imposed on them. Any non-conductive paint, enamel, or other coating shall be removed at threads, contact points, and contact surfaces, or shall be connected by a means of a fitting design so that to make such removal unnecessary. Uh, so again, if you are unable to, um, do this by removing the paint or whatever, then, you know, you have a raceway coming in, say for a feeder, then you could put a bonding bushing on it with a bonding jumper and achieve the same connection and, and be fine. Okay. But you have to do something necessary to do that. Okay. Now, one thing to remember, so feeder applications, let's just talk normal circuits, 120, 240 volt, things like that. Uh, most all of the uh, reducing washers, all of the concentric, it's eccentric or eccentric KOs on boxes, all of those are not going to require a bonding bushing, okay? It's already done. It's taken care of, right? And so you don't, you wouldn't need a bonding bushing on that. Now, if there's something that's going to, uh, an impairment or something that's going, that you observe that it's going to impair the connection, uh, and it's not going to be a solid connection, then you're going to have to do something else to that in order to ensure that connection, okay, that you're going to be able to do it. But typically with normal KOs, and we'll assume you install them properly or knock them out properly, um, and uh, all of that, then you really don't need any bonding bushings on the load side uh, of your application, right? Service side call for those. Now, <clears throat> that's not to say, again, if you don't have any, any issues that could impede the ability to clear an overcurrent device properly, uh, then, you know, that's one of those things where you're going you're gonna to need it. Another aspect of it is you might need a bonding bushing, for example, if you're using a piece of flexible conduit. Uh, then, again, if it's not to be used as an equipment grounding conductor, but you still have to bond, then you might have a bonding component that you would need to bond that type of thing. 
And I don't know that we'll get into all of those details on this episode because I'm already up to 40 some minutes on this one. Um, and of course, my haters out there, you know, the thumbs down the crew, the, the one guy that does, I'm eager to hear yours because it sounds to me like everybody's as a critic until they have to step up to the mic and try to cover everything in one podcast or video. And it's hard to do. I'm obviously not going to be able to cover everything, but I'm doing my best. All right. So the next one and the last one we're going to look at is say, okay, what about the situation where I'm dealing with bonding of over 250 volts to ground? So now we're going to pull bonding bushings back in. And this would be even, this is obviously feeder or branch applications when we would need to have bonding bushings or when we have the ability to do bonding bushings. Okay. Well, this is 250.97. And this talks about bonding for over 250 volts to ground, not phase to phase, phase to ground. Again, a 240 volt circuit phase to phase is 120 to ground. Okay. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, now you could also have a 240 volt to ground scenario where it isn't a phase to, you know, there isn't a phase to phase 240, but it also to ground, say a Delta, uh, that's still not over 250 volts to ground. That's still 240. Okay. For that type of unique application, but typically a 120, 240 or our typical 240, is going to be one leg to ground. It's going to be 120, phase to phase, 240. None of those would be over 250 to ground, okay? And the only reason I bring that up is because in the 2023, they added the, after 250 volts, they added to ground, uh, even though it stated that in the language, to clarify to people, because I did get a fair number of, of emails through the years, it says, okay, so... Um, what, what's the over 250 volts? Uh, so do I have to do this? And I'm like, dude, it, it's, it's really over 250 to ground, that type of scenario. All right, anyway, let's read it here. It says, for circuits of over 250 volts to ground, the electrical continuity of metal raceways and cables with metal sheathing that contain any conductors other than service conductors. We have our rules in 250.92. We, we got those rules for service. So any conductor other than service, that's going to cover feeders and branch, all that, shall be insured. So we have that language again, insured by one or more of the methods specified for services in 250.92B except for B1. Now, obviously, B1 for 250.92 can't be used because that was the permission to connect it to the grounded conductor, right? And that would be a violation. We don't do that on the load side generally of the service equipment. So it's, we're not going to create a violation, right? So basically this is saying when you're dealing with bonding of over 250 volts to ground, defer to 250.92B and follow those options there, like the bonding bushings, bonding lock nuts, whatever, um, follow all of those rules. You just can't use the grounded conductor for that connection. That's all it's saying. So we don't have to rehash it. Okay. Now it also goes on to give us an exception. And here's what the exception says. So it's telling us to use the rules in 250.92B except for B1. So we have a B2, B3, B4, but there is an exception. It says if oversized concentric or eccentric or eccentric, however you want to say it, knockouts, are not encountered, okay? So you, you, you pop the full-size hole, right? 
then you, you're not dealing with concentric, eccentric. You're not dealing with oversized. You don't need reducing washers. You don't need any of that. If none of that's encountered, or if a box or enclosure with concentric or eccentric or eccentric, however you want to say it, KOs is listed to provide a reliable bonding connection, the following method shall be permitted. Okay, so here's the deal. <clears throat> if you're running it to, you're dealing with bonding of over 250 volts to ground, and you don't have any issue with concentric or eccentric KOs, they're not encountered, uh, or you don't have any oversized, okay? Or if the box or enclosure with eccentric or concentric KOs is actually listed for use at over 250 volts to ground, and a lot of them are, you'll see those boxes that are, the knockouts are designed much differently, okay, than the normal box that you would get. If that's the case, then the following methods shall be permitted. And again, means you can do this and you don't have to go to 250.92B, okay? That's why it's an exception. Number one says threadless couplings and connectors for cables with metal sheathing, okay? So if I have a threadless coupling uh, and connector and I'm doing it with a cable with metal sheathing, whatever it would be, like an MC or whatnot, uh, then I would be fine as long as I'm not dealing with eccentrics uh, or oversized, or if the box that does have eccentric or concentric or eccentric, whatever, if they're designed for use at over 250 volts to ground, then I can just use a regular threaded coupling and connector with the metal sheathing. I don't have to do nothing special. I don't have to do anything. It's done. Okay. The next one that would, is item number two that says two metal lock nuts on rigid metal conduit or intermediate metal conduit, one inside and one outside of the, uh, of the box and in cabinet. So what does this mean? Again, as long as I'm not encountering KOs and eccentric or eccentric KOs are not encountered, or if I have a box that has those type of KOs on it and it's actually listed for use at 250 volts uh, over 250 to ground, then I can come in with rigid or intermediate and just put a standard lock nut on the outside and a standard lock nut on the inside, tighten them up, and that's it. Done. I got to do nothing. Uh, the next one is item three. It says, fittings with shoulders that seat tightly against a box or cabinet, such as electrical metallic tubing connectors, flexible metal conduit connectors, and cable connectors with one lock nut on the inside of the box or cabinet or box and cabinet. So this is your, your standard uh, fittings that are designed for things like EMT, FMC, all those type of things. If it's flat and it rests flat against the enclosure, and if the closure doesn't have any concentric or eccentric, eccentric, however you want to say it, oversized knockouts or the knockouts that are there are rated for over 250 volts to ground, then I can just go with a standard EMT fitting and just boom, even if it's over 250 volts to ground, I don't have to do anything special, right? That's what it's talking about, okay? And then lastly, it says listed fittings. So again, if I'm using a wiring method that requires its listed fittings and the fitting is listed for use with that wiring method and I'm not encountering oversized concentric or eccentric or eccentric KOs, they're not encountered, or if I am encountering them, they're rated for over 250 volts to ground anyway, and that would be marked in the box, by the way. Uh, 
So if that was the case, then I don't have to do anything. I just use the listed fitting that's designed to go with that wiring method. And that's it. I don't have to do anything. Okay. So uh, bonding, here's the biggest thing that people get really, really, really confused about. Bonding around pre-punched concentric or eccentric eccentric KOs is not required if the enclosure contains the knockouts is listed and suitable for such bonding, right? So all you got to do is look at the enclosure and see if it's rated for over 250 volts to ground. And then if you do have those KOs, it really doesn't matter. You're okay. Use that exception, okay? Now, interesting is if you had the... Um, if you had the link and you have what's called a collapsing and con enhanced content, it is interesting because it'll tell you that the UL guide information indicates that concentric or eccentric, eccentric, however you want to say it, knockouts of all metal outlet boxes evaluated in accordance with UL 514A metallic outlet boxes are suitable for bonding without the use of additional bonding equipment, such as a bonding type lock nut or bonding bushing. The guide information further indicates that metal outlet boxes may be marked to indicate this condition of use. How about that? It's interesting, right? That's why you, you know, it pays to understand UL as well. And, you know, having access to those documents. But usually the manufacturer will take care of that for you and provide you the information. So, Always remember you can reach out to the manufacturer to get additional guidance uh, where necessary, that type of thing. All right. So next for the bonding bushing deal, we're going to jump to 250.102 for this. Uh, and it's talking about the bonding jumpers. And we're going to talk about the supply side bonding jumper. So on the supply side bonding jumper, and we're going to get into sizing it. Uh, it's a whole different episode, and I have a, already have a video on that, so I'm not going to rehash that because that's nearly not what the question was. But bonding jumpers. When would you use a bonding jumper on the supply side? Again, I gave you an example earlier. If I have raceways coming in that contain service conductors, and I uh, in encountering concentric or eccentric or eccentric, whatever you want to say, it, if I run into those, I know you're getting tired of me saying it that way, but if I don't, I'll have the trolls posting crap on every comment. Okay, because they got nothing better to do than do that, really. Okay, it's the same trolls that want to post on people that say sub panel uh, versus remote distribution panel. It, it seems like that's their only passion in life is to is to to I don't know try to diss other people or whatnot. I I don't know. I don't really care. I delete it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day. If we're doing supply-side bonding jumpers and we have to bond the raceway coming in because of an impairment, easier way to say it, if we have an impairment which covers KOs with eccentric or eccentric type of KOs or reducing washers, then we would need that bonding jumper, right? And if it's on the supply side, it's a supply-side bonding jumper, and you would follow 250.102C1. If it's on the load side, then you would follow 250.102D and your bonding bushings with bonding jumpers and all that will be sized based on 250.122. So I probably could have summarized this entire video up in saying for your bonding jumper and your bonding bushing requirements, um, the would be all those that are encompassed in 250.92 all the way down to 
250.97. And by reading that, you'll get a good understanding of, of what's going on uh, there. Uh, but that's about the, the, you know, no, not 97, 250.92. I'm sorry. Uh, if you look at there from 250.92 down to 250.102, then you'll get a good understanding of when and where uh, bonding bushings uh, could be installed. But just remember, bonding bushings are not the only answer. Okay? You can bonding type lock nuts, bonding wedges. There's other alternatives out there. Just follow the code and read it. And again, if you have any questions with reading any of that, you know what you can do. You can always email us and ask us more specific, kind of more targeted questions. And we'll do our best to try to answer that for you. All right. All right, folks. That's all I'm going to have for this episode. Uh, hopefully I answered your question. It's a lot of info. I know it's hard to follow it in a podcast. Uh, we do have videos that are out on this, but they're only available in our annual membership. Uh, but uh, hey, at the end of the day, hopefully I get you something to think about. Till next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.